Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Dax Cordero, and uh, I'd like to welcome you all to another edition of uh, the FMA Bandits Pinoy Martial Arts Mastermind. And as usual, uh, I'm joined by my fellow FMA Bandits uh, cohorts, Dr. Sixto Carlos. Say hello, Dr. Sixto. Hello. And of course, his equally good-looking brother, Basti Carlos. Say hello, Basti. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm kind of giddy today because, because we have a very, very special show. It's Maybe your because... man crush. It's your man crush. It's man crush. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay, so we have a very, very special guest today. Of course, I always say that we have a special guest. But today, today, talagang bona fide special guest. Okay. So uh, let me give my introduction. Okay? So he is a lifelong martial artist. He is a U.S. military veteran who served in the uh, U.S. Air Force for eight years. I did not know that. And he's a bona fide FMA ambassador known around the world for spreading FMA love. Okay? And he's well known for the catchphrase, it will kill. Okay? And uh, you know, we will ask him about this later. Okay, which was uh, which he made famous in the hit show uh, Forged in Fire. Very Please famous, welcome. yeah. Please welcome none other than Mr. Doug Markaida. Hello, Doug. Hello, Doug. Doug. How's right. everybody doing? It's good to be uh, talking to my classmates and friends. <laughs> yeah, that's so, Mr. Here we are. Yeah, that's Mr. Oh, it's our uh, two, day, two, what, two decade reunion, silver <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> we are old. Yeah, so, so I'm the odd man out here because, uh, okay, the, the, these three guys, they've known each other for a long time. Uh, mm. You know, when they, when they started uh, training, I was probably uh, in elementary or maybe preschool. So uh, I'll be uh, I'll be the liar. <laughs> liar. So they will be I will be more of a spectator today, and uh, yeah, they'll be asking the questions, and I will, uh, you know, I'll just interject with uh, my own personal uh, whatever. Anyway, guys, who yeah. wants to ask first? Okay, me as the older Carlos brother, I'll I'd like to know, uh, Dogna, what who were your influences, and what are your what systems, what styles influenced you, and what made you go into martial arts and Filipino martial arts specifically? Yeah, um, martial arts was basically something I had to take because growing up in the Philippines when I was young, I was a troubled kid, always fighting, got kicked out into so many schools. Uh, as a troubled child, my I thought that uh, my dad was finally getting sick and tired of my uh, <laughs> conduct. And sabi ko, away ka ng away, ah, but uh, you keep on fighting, but uh, you're going to get yourself stabbed one day. I'm like, well, I was, I was afraid of knives because I had some. Nahold up ako dati, you know, and I've had bad, bad, uh, bad um, experience with that. But I wanted to learn how to fight, uh, so I started Taekwondo. And I took some kickboxing classes. And, you know, here and there, I was always dabbling with something. But that was something I really loved to do because it took my focus away from, you know, drugs streets, you know, all the batkada that I had and all the bad influences. Um, 
But specifically for Filipino martial arts, um, that was something that I got back into when I was already in the Air Force. You see, I was guilty of colonial mentality. So growing up in the Philippines, when I saw Arnis and Escriva, which is what it was known as, I would say, eh, pang masayan, you know? I mean, who fights with sticks or knives? You know, yeah. that's, a, that's an art. Only hoodlums would do that. Only pangkalye. <laughs> you know, only the, only the bad guys would fight with knives and sticks. But then when I got into uh, high school and um, I started, I, I was part of a street gang, I guess is what they are. They call them fraternities there. Everybody carried knives and weapons. So nobody fights fair anymore. Rambles, you know, mm -hmm. uh, with, with street-made weapons. So um, it scared me, you know. I'll admit I, I was afraid of those kinds of fights. Nobody would fight fair. Um, so I got away from that, and I focused on sports. But when I got to the U.S. and I started, I was in the Air Force, I got back into a, a martial art club, and I met some friends over there. And one of the guys there, um, was sparring. We had this play, play fight and sparring. And every time I'd come in, he'd just throw me. You know, just beat me up, bam, throw me, boom, lock me, throw me. Put up, put up. I'm like, damn, what the artist is at that time? Uh, you know, um, Steven Seagal was famous, you know. So I thought, is this Aikido? Because one of the moves that he showed was that, that Aikido move that I saw in the movies. He goes, no, it's Kali. Let me go, Kali. I'm thinking, whoa, from California, because he was from California. So Kali, <laughs> huh? Very good. Um, where do you learn this and everything? He goes like, oh, it's a Filipino martial art. I go, Filipino martial art? Kali? I'm Filipino. There's no Kali. You know, it's like, oh, no, really? Are you kidding me? He goes like, no, there's Kali. Look it up. He goes, Dan Inosanto is one of the guys that was his lineage. He was actually under uh, the academy, which was uh, Bustillo, Dan Inosanto's uh, uh, training partner. So when he pointed that out, I was blown away. I was shocked because what I saw in the Philippines was not what I saw in the U.S. It was different. And I think not so much the stick and knife work. It was their empty hands because I never was used to that. It, it was just introduced to me in a totally different way. Talaga. So this is broadcast mostly mga Pinoy's, right? Uh, no, we're worldwide dialed international. Oh, okay. Because I'm mixing in, <laughs> I'm mixing in Tagalog and Taglish because I, I don't get to speak Taglish so much, that, that much. But anyways, um, he pointed that out and uh, I got to have him teach me some lessons, but I was so uncoordinated, he gave up on me. Mm. <laughs> He's like, I'm not teaching you. He's so uncoordinated. He just couldn't stand it because I'm like, I'm so karate. Like, you know, like, what's up with this? And he'll give me two sticks. And I'm like, uh, heaven, six. I was so uncoordinated. He couldn't take it. So I started buying uh, Inosanto's tapes at the time and I just started self-training. But lo and behold, an hour and a half away, uh, there was a school that was trying to teach, uh, was also teaching Filipino martial arts. And they brought in uh, Edgar Solite. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And when I brought, went over there, I was blown away. I mean, I was just blown away with uh, Edgar and what he was teaching. And I go, this is what I want. Now, it's interesting. He was teaching Danny Nusano at the time, also in California when he was there. But what made me so proud and excited about it, he was teaching Lameco from the Philippines. Edgar wasn't teaching Kali. He was teaching his own brand that was pure Filipino, because that's where he came from. So yeah. I'm like, how come th this is, wow. So, so now I saw that there is Kali and there's also Filipino. Even though I didn't find it in the Philippines, here's a man who brought it to me. 
And then when we got to talking, he goes, if you want to study it also here, look for this guy, Liu Gahe. So I go, Liu Gahe, because that's where Edgar just came from and was training around with. And, and he pointed me out to uh, Liu Gahe and Pekiti Tertia. So he would show the seminar of his lineage. This is from Caballero. This is from Liu Gahe. This is the different arts that I've studied. And he was showing it. So he's pointing out all these different systems. And I was just like absorbing it like a madman. And after that, um, I started seeking out all these systems. I was lucky enough to get transferred to uh, my, my next base station in Biloxi. And I met a guy named Omar Hakim. There was a, mm, Daniel yeah. Santo uh, did a Omar. seminar there. And I met Omar there because I was looking for a teacher. And he was just an hour and a half away. So he goes, I teach you in New Orleans. If you want to come and train, come train with us. Omar was a first generation student of Leo Gahe. But Omar's training was unique. It was always one-on-one. It was for six-hour classes, and it was very unstructured. So Omar passed it on to me. My classes were like six hours long, and they were amazing because it's very, I guess when you fall in love with the idea of, of Filipino martial arts and you're going back to your roots, right? Because I didn't experience this in the Philippines. So here's a guy who's not Filipino, and we're training in the backyard, and he shows us all these weird training methods with long sticks using the trees we're fighting the trees we're on tree stumps we're like walking around uh, doing footwork patterns all these movements i'm like this is so like kung fu cinema you know filipino style (laughs) you know and he would tell me so many stories about my own culture that i never saw so i was uh, you know I, I will say this, as a Filipino who was born with, who was raised with colonial mentality, thinking everything around the world is better than our own, learning Filipino martial arts brought me back a sense of my identity that I lost because the colonials took that away from us. Finding Filipino martial arts brought it back to me that I was so proud again of where I came from, who I was, and what the martial arts would do for you as a person in life because of the training methodologies as metaphors apply in everything else we do in life. So I was so excited to find it about my own culture that I was addicted to it. I mean, I traveled the world for it. And then I went to the Philippines to, you know, so I studied with Omar. And then when Omar left, I found another instructor with Bill McGrath, who was another first, first generation instructor under um, the Ogahe. And then Tom Bizio. These guys are my Pekiti, Tertia, um, influences for that one particular system but it was tom bizio that actually showed me pikiti tertia from a chinese martial arts point of view everything was different he goes that movement right there doesn't make sense we'll do it this way and then he showed me different ways of doing it because he would say it's all about body mechanics and balance a lot of these things became stylistic meaning it's about the look it's not about function so he simplified a lot of things, saying, this is what you do to stay in function and balance and everything else. At the same time, he also um, showed me philosophies about, be careful what you're wishing for. You come from a very aggressive system that says, carry four knives. <laughs> one is not good enough. <laughs> you have to carry so many. And then yeah. he goes, and, and this is one of the things that Tom really blew me, blew me away when he said this. He goes, Doug, I bet you carry a lot of knives. I'm like, of course, because my other teacher said, you got to carry a knife. You got to have it all the time. And then he just shook his head. And I'll bet you, you make your students carry lots of knives. Yeah. If we have to be armed, do we have to have that same thing? And I bet you, you have several knives. Yeah, we always have a backup here and there. You never know, right? And he just shook his head. He goes, 
you know, that kind of mentality, do you ever think about what happens if your students ever use it and what happens if they get caught using it? Have you ever thought about that? We're all about the violence and the tough guy and I carry knives and all this. What about the results of one time when any of them uses it one time? Are you going to be there for them? You're there for them now. Are you going to be there to answer to the lawyers, to the family members, to all these other things, the consequence after that? I never thought of that because at that time we're young, we're full of testosterone, we just want to fight. But we never think of the consequences. So to me, that was a very big influence. And then within Tom's system, once he promised, because hey, Tom lived six hours away from me. So I had to drive six hours to him, train for two hours and drive six hours back. It's a good thing right. I was single, but it was worth it. And he promised, because he thought, um, yeah, no problem. You do this. I bet you he quit. No, I did it for about a year and a half to two years with him. But when he finished his notebook, he goes, we're done. I was like, what do you mean we're done? I still want to learn. He goes, no, I'm not, we're, I'm, that's Pekiti. I'm done. He goes, you want to learn San Miguel Escrima? Sure. So then I studied San Miguel Escrima course from him uh, as taught by Momoy Cañete. And um, it's a different system, totally different energy. But let me explain one thing that I learned from Tom that was amazing. Tom went to fight in the Philippines for a tournament, the first full contact tournament there. He won. They made him co-champion, of course, Madaya, uh, Filipinos. <laughs> he won clearly, man. And they, they couldn't take the fact that an American who's this level was, became a champion. But when he was done with that, he learned, uh, he, he got to study um, uh, with Momoy Cañete. But here's the beautiful thing. He already started doing Xingyi and Bagua in uh, the U.S. When he was learning San Miguel Escrima, there was a language barrier. So what he did was when he went back to Arizona, met with his instructor there, and they both flew to the Philippines to study San Miguel Escrima. He brought his instructor to explain what the movements were because they, there, there's a language barrier. So his instructor would just say, oh, what he's doing there is this in terms of what we're doing and everything else. It's genius. There's, so movement is universal, you know, without, without just having to stick with that. Then, of course, um, because of you, Sixto, I met my <laughs> other teacher, uh, Jun De Leon from Cali De Leon. Mm, yeah. He called me out of the mm -hmm. blues. And when he told me he met with you and you guys, and he said, oh, let me talk to this dog. I thought Jun De Leon was a young guy our age. <laughs> and, okay. and you know me, how, how passionate I get. I'm talking about, yeah, Piquita's like this, we're so tough, we'll fight, you know, everything. And, so, and he's just listening, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I'm trying, because I'm, I thought he was a beginner. <laughs> I'm trying to sales talk him about to join martial arts and Piquita because we're aggressive, we're fighting, all this. The guy's a grasser and he's like 50 years old. <laughs> and I'm trying to talk to him like he's a kid. I was shocked when I met him. And you were 27 back then, right? You were huh? about 27, 28? 27, 28. Yeah, yeah. And when I see he's got a very young voice. Yeah. So when I met with him, I'm like shocked at how old he was. I'm like, oh my God, you're, you're an older guy. And um, he was doing his system and I met with his system. And I, I, I looked at him like, oh, it's cool. But you know what? I've seen all the stuff he's doing. It's very basic. So I thought. So we, he was doing basic stuff until, uh, so I was friends with him for I think a good three years or about a year or two or something, just being friends because we love to talk martial arts. Mm -hmm. But I never studied his system because I wasn't interested. I was just so stuck on Pekiti. I was this close mindset that what I got was already good. It wasn't until our, our other friend, you remember Steve Ryder? 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> he yeah. was with uh, uh was from the Inosanto Academy. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, well uh Guru June went to uh California and they trained in the park and then Steve calls me and goes like, remember June? He goes, yeah. Doug, have you trained with him? He goes, no, I go to his classes before uh, he, and I watch, it's the same thing until it's time for me to go out and we hang out. He goes, Doug, you got to take the class. All right. So I told Guru June, yeah, hey, can I take your class? Okay. When I took the class, seeing is not doing. That was the simple things that they were doing. They did so well because it's their basic and it's their warm-ups. I was having a hard time keeping up because it wasn't part of my body mechanics. So I was blown away that that's where I learned that just because you see something, don't judge it until you actually do it. Then you can make a true judgment on that. So I would say in the Filipino martial arts, from Edgar Solita to Leo Gahe to uh, Tom Bizio, Bill McGrath, Omar Kim, of course, and of course, uh, Guru Jun De Leon are my biggest influences on my martial arts. Yeah, that's well. it. And of course, my time with uh, my brothers here when we were training in the Philippines, that was the... <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> had fun. I guess we had... experimentation phase, huh? <laughs> yeah, we had fun back then, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, also with your brother, RJ. He was mm -hmm. the guy who introduced you to us. I remember yeah. that. Actually, RJ, yeah. okay, okay um, I, I like to tell this story now. I met RJ during um, our NIST tournament. It was a national selection. For, uh, it was a selection for the national team. Anyway, so I was fighting for Lameco back then. This was way back 91. RJ went to me and asked, hey, uh, can I join your, your Arnis club? And dog, you know how secretive I was back then? Mm -hmm. I told RJ, hey, go to that club. They're better. <laughs> but, well, RJ insisted on joining us, and that was history. He's been our fan ever since ever yeah. since uh, it, studied, you know I, I was so in git with rj because first of all he wasn't doing filipino martial arts he was doing yao yan oh yeah yeah that's where he was doing it so it was a kickboxing system and, he, he was and i would good. tell him you need to find a filipino martial arts system like i found over here it's different you know what are your kicks gonna do if i cut you with a blade and everything else so i'm like what is this guy talking about i was so aggressive yeah. till I got. next thing you know he calls me and says guess what he was like what you know who my teacher is over here? Who? Leo Gahe. Putangina, you met him before I did. You, that time, you guys found him. So here yeah, he is yeah. training with him. And then he tells me also, I have a connection now with Tatang Industrisimo and Tony yeah. Diego. Like, Diego yeah. This guy's learning from the masters direct. I'm like, lucky guy. Yeah, the, that, that's one thing we need to dig up in the archives. We, we have a video of you on the, the first time you ever met <laughs> yeah at, I, I had our parents house. somewhere yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's on video we were eating <laughs> tuna tuna for lunch i remember oh that <laughs> you remember we used to train at our backyard and uh and gahe was there then we knew you were in town so we're like hey you guys gotta meet then when we had it on video you look like this like you look like this like orphan who finally like <laughs> dad and Oh my gosh, I was so starstruck. I was so starstruck. Like I said, I was so addicted to Filipino martial arts that to meet the grandmaster of the system, the, the guy who I hear all these stories from his students um, was amazing. It was so funny because Archie was recording it. And I remember one term he said right there, Tuhan, don't take your shoes off. Doug might kiss it. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. I remember and that. it's true. I would have. Mm. Uh, RJ said... 
he mentioned something even more graphic, but I'd rather not mention it here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, it, it's one of my favorite times uh, uh, training yeah. with you guys. Because even though, you know, looking back right now, we, we look at what we were doing. It was such a creative process of what yeah. we were yeah. doing because we were just creating stuff based on what people would tell us. We don't know if it worked or not, yeah. but let's do it like this. You know, let's do it. Oh, let's try this because the more tribal it was, the more ethnic it looked, the better it was, you know? And, and I loved it. I loved it because um, it, it was really, I think, honest and pure. That's what I loved about those days, you know? We didn't have issues about anything else that was going on because there was so much politics already in any martial art and Filipino oh, yeah. martial arts. Oh, yeah. But among us, we were just sharing ideas and just doing what we could. It was fun. Yeah. I think you, I think you skipped a, I think you skipped a phase, like because like you when the first time I met you, actually your brother called me up and he's like, "Hey, are you doing anything?" And I was like, uh, "No, I, I just got home from work. I think I used to work at the hotel. Remember?" So mm -hmm. like, okay, so maybe meet my brother. He just came from the U.S. Like whoever that brother is, sure, like whatever he wants to do. Like yeah, he he just wants to you know exchange ideas. Like okay. So you came and yeah, to, to put it in your own words, it was the aggressive dog Markaida in his like <laughs> 20s. And he's like, show me what you know. And I'm like, okay, I'll show you this. And as soon as I do something, you countered it immediately. I'm like, okay, maybe he's just very excited. And like, five, <laughs> counter it immediately. I'm like, wait. And then you're like, Basti, you're not showing me anything. I'm like, you're not allowing me to show anything because every time I move. <laughs> Counter true, it with true. your bikini. You know, you were oh, a yeah. diehard guy back then. Oh, yeah. I remember I that. I remember that. Others, you know, looking back, some people would call it a oh, diehard. Yeah. Now I call it what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> be honest, man. I was a dick then. <laughs> yeah. Like, so it, it, took, it took weeks before everything kind of like warmed up and warmed up, yeah. everything kind of yeah. changed. But, but that was the start. It wasn't as oh, easy. I know. Hello, but, you know, but uh, I remember I, like your, but on the second on the second meet, you being you, Mister like aggressive Piketty American guy, I was like, "Baste, I heard you know you training in Illustrissimo. Show me your Illustrissimo." I'm like, uh, "Who told you we know Illustrissimo?" I'm like, "That's we're not supposed to show that so easily." And you're like, "You're not gonna show it to me. Like I'll pay somebody to show it to me." I'm like, "That, that <laughs> dog back then." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was one of my issues. Like I say, how come these guys don't want to share? I'll share with them anything because I, at the time, because I was under this 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 uh, I guess <clears throat> impression that the Filipino arts are gonna die because we're not sharing it. You know, hell no, I was wrong. I mean, you know, it 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 would continue on its own. Um, but I wanted to learn everything, no matter what was shown. You know, and then when you guys said the season, I'm like, I'm looking at your moves. I'm like. I don't know that. I want to learn that, especially the dos manos, you know, because that's something that's not shown to me. But that aggression, um, that pure passion, you know, I look back nowadays and I, I just shake my head. I'm like, what a dick, because that's how it came out. You know, uh, you, you don't see yourself until you see it now. I also remember during that time, uh, looking back now, I did a presentation for this Aikido club because they invited me to do a presentation there. And this is about... Uh, probably a couple of months before I came, I came. Yeah, I was still in the Air Force, so it was after. Um, and these guys were doing Aikido stuff and throwing it on. And I'm like, this is bullshit. He like got up and goes, deal with this knife. 
And I started cut up and everything else. And it was all about the aggression of a knife. It was basically kill, 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 do all this stuff. And I remember the teacher there watching me and just shaking his head. And then I remember his students like, what do your teacher think, huh? Does he think it's effective? He goes, Doug, he thinks it's effective, but he thinks you're a dick. I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, why waste my time showing stuff that doesn't work? You have right, to be right. truthful about this stuff. Right. And I didn't get that. Now I do. You know what he was yeah. probably shaking his head, head for? Here's another guy who's trying to show off how deadly a knife is without the responsibility of ever talking why you should not use it. He's just showing pure kill. It doesn't take skill to kill anybody. What takes skill is try not to hurt the person. That's what Aikido is about in defending yourself. What takes skill is to have control of your emotions and walk away. That takes skill. What takes skill is to be able to fight your own ego because the beast is not the guy in front of you. The beast is who's inside you because trained people like us want to fight. Trained people like us don't want to back, up, back down from a fight because we know we can do something. So to be able to control that about ourselves is the fight. So looking back at that time, I realized now, wow, why didn't I understand that then? And I'll go back to this. Your teachers should have known better and should have taught you the right way. I was not. I was strictly taught how to fight, how to kill with no regard for why am I doing this? There was no reason why I was learning this. The why was never there. The how was there. The why was never there. In a fight, there's the before, during, and after. We need to really focus on the before. It is within the before to avoid all the during. Because then we come to class. How is it that I'm standing here with a knife and I'm already fighting you and we're fighting? What was before that? Right. How did I appear with a knife and stick in my hand? Like, like you would carry that anyways, right? But then the after is the consequences of your action here. So I think there's a thing that's lacking for a lot of us in our development when we don't have the before and the after. At the same time, why are you truly using this? What's the repercussions of your actions? And how to be very responsible about this. That lesson I learned from you, the, the Carlos brothers, with the Leo, you know, uh, our, our uh, LS, <laughs> not to name names. Yeah. Remember him? LS? Sal? Leo, Sal. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because that was all about, that was all yeah. about, why is he not teaching him? Why are you holding back? The holding back. And you told me once, I remember six, I told him, I'm not going to show anybody because I don't know them. I never yeah. understood that. What, yeah. you, what I understand now is when you say, I don't know them, because when you said, I don't know them, uh, they be, become friends, become friends with them, then you'll know them. That's not what you meant. What yeah. I, I take on now is you don't know who they are, where they come from, or what I will teach him. You know, you, I can't just give him this and go crazy. Even a better way to put it today. I think visually it makes sense. Would I just hand a loaded gun to somebody I don't know and walk away? That's yeah, the yeah. way you have to think about what we are teaching and what we're doing. Do I give you this loaded gun? See you later. I hope you do well with it. Or do we teach them safety and all these other things? And even before we teach them, did I do a background check? I think that's a very important lesson that, unfortunately, it came to me in later, later uh, years. But, you know, we all do find our way sometimes in the later years, I hope. Yeah. Uh, Doug, I have yeah. a... Okay. I, I'm going to throw on 
throughout my uh, my one good question that I mentioned to you <laughs> earlier, uh, because you've been talking about killing, uh, you know, because we that's what we do, okay. To put it bluntly, we teach people mm -hmm. how to kill, all right. So among other things, and uh, you're talking about the repercussions, and you're talking about the consequences, and the moral aspect of of, of killing. But in your show, uh, Forged in Fire, you have a very famous catchphrase: "After you've mutilated a piece of meat." With uh, with the contestants' uh, brutal blade, you always say, you know, if 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 successful, you always say, it will kill, with that famous heel accent. <laughs> so you've been talking about repercussions, moral, uh, you know, dilemmas and whatnot. So why this catchphrase? What does it actually mean? Please explain. Um, when we first did the show. Um, the concept was there, we have three tests. We have a kill test, we have a sharpness test, and we have a strength test. The strength test is to check all the overall construction of the weapon that's presented to us. The sharpness, obviously, to see if it will be sharp and it will cut. The kill test was there because our focus was on weapons from history. And weapons were made, were made for one reason, to kill. So they called it the kill test. Um, during our first episodes, uh, there, it's either pass or fail. So my word would be, it will kill. As I was coming along doing that, there were some times when I'm doing a test and I am so excited. Bah, 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 bah. Was like, I'm, I'm like adrenaline and I get, and then sometimes instead of, it will kill, my, 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 my accent comes out. <laughs> so it will kill, you know, like, it will kill, you know, I get so excited and some people caught on to that. I didn't even know I was doing it until the second season where they were saying, hey, say kill. I say, uh, boy, what, what do you mean by that? Well, everybody's now laughing because you called it kill. I'm like, oh, why? I am Prambi now. And my English is very bad now. It, it, it so I will have to change it. So I started changing to it will kill. Yeah, I tried to make it uh, more, more, uh, you know, without, more uh, yeah, it will kill. But then when I was doing that, I caught myself like, that's glorifying violence. And that's hard for me to swallow, especially because my motto, and so on my website, is it's not about how many you hurt, it's about how many you protect. That's, that's a better way of looking at what you're doing with responsibility. So one of the things I love about us in the Philippines is we play on words all the time. <laughs> we always have a play on words. So I really thought about it. I go, kill can also be spelled K-E-A-L, which I use now as keep everyone alive. So... That's when I say it will kill. And that's why people keep writing, you don't know how to spell kill. I don't, no, no, you don't get it. It's A-E-A-L because it's supposed to be keep everyone alive. Because the show is a family show, believe it or not. And a lot of my followers and fans of the show are young kids who watch it with their parents. And because of that, um, I try to be very uh, respectful. Um, all the meats that we use from the carcasses uh, are all donated to the wildlife reserve for uh, the, the newyorkwolf.org. Mm -hmm. All that, nothing's wasted. Um, and when I do that, I always bow to the animal when I'm done after mm -hmm. using it. You know, We don't kill any kind of animal just for the show. Everything that we buy is already an animal that's been slaughtered for uh, market use. So and that's where kill comes from. So, Dogna, my next question is, it's connected with what you just said. Uh, how has Forged in Fire affected your martial arts journey? Mm. Well, for one thing, it's taught me about my art. 
a lot of our stick work does not transcend into blade work. Yeah. You either train with a blade or you train with a stick. It's not transferable. Yes, the movements are transferable, but the minute you meet impact or you hit something with resistance, it's different. There are some things that we train in the Philippine martial arts thinking it's weapons, it's a sword, or it's like the sword. When you hit something or cut an animal and everything, it's like, oh, this kind of thrust, you're going to lose your knife. There's a difference between nicking, poking, and stabbing. There's a difference between a slice and a chop. So we've done over 200 episodes. And if every episode you do at least four kill tests or sharpness tests, multiple, you do the math. I'm not doing the math. I've learned a lot about how the body reacts to stabbing in terms of how I would move if I'm cutting something. So I've really learned to appreciate different kinds of weapons, the handle construction, um, the grinds matter. Certain grinds work for certain tests. Certain grinds don't work for certain materials. Uh, and of course, we get to study different weapons from different cultures because some of these weapons are no longer have a manual. So yeah, I have yeah, to yeah. approach it in terms of what makes sense. I've also learned that Western weapons are totally different than Southeast weapons. Because here yeah. I am with a claymore. I'm like, how do you use this? <laughs> Common sense is this, right? Yeah, even the tomahawks or whatever, the axes, right? Totally different yeah. because you have to think about how they did it. I am limited to using what I know about edge impact. If it's got an edge, it should cut. If it's got a point, it should be able to penetrate. If it's curved, it should be able to hook and control. If it's flexible, it should be able to wrap around. These attributes are universal. But at the same time, when, I, when we present a weapon, I'm like, why did they create it this way? There are many weapons out there that are purely ceremonial and yeah, ritualistic yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. rather than made for combat. I mean, one weapon here is like a point here, a point there, and a point here. Like, okay, good. How do you carry this? <laughs> good luck, you know? It's like, how do you even carry that around? And um, uh, weapons, uh, weight matters. Weight okay. matters. Yeah. We see these big swords, and then you go to the museums. They're like a pound and a half only. I'm like, mm. what? And then you find out also that a lot of blade makers are not end users. So they don't know the balance. They'll make a blade, but then when you like, this, he goes like, "Do you know how to fight with this?" No, it's a weapon. <laughs> they don't like, "Well, I just make him." Well, you don't. The balance is off. You don't understand the use. They, that's why um, when people ask me, they want to become a, a bladesmith, and everything, I say, make sure you use your weapon and you study with it, because then it will only help your design of a weapon. You have to be a user of the weapon. If you're just a designer and a maker, you're not a user. You're missing something. Like going back to your journey uh, or a story of your journey. So just to summarize what we've spoken earlier about was like you started with uh, Omar Haki. In terms of FMA, well, you started Taekwondo, got exposed to Kali, the Air Force. And I do remember like the Air Force was kind of like a catalyst for you to rediscover your, not rediscover, but eventually bring an epiphany to your appreciation of Filipino culture in general. Right? So, yeah, because uh, so, so of course, right? Remember, so I had colonial mentality, right? Everything's better. Uh, that's a badui. I'm not going to do that. Or that pangmasa yan. So here I am. I'm this Western guy. Parang so, atinista. Anyway. <laughs> OBF. So, so when, when I went to the States, guess what I found out? 
So here I am thinking the West is this, the West is that, and everything else. You know, everything's good in the West. Bye-bye, Philippines. I'm going to the States. Mm-hmm. I go to the States, and they look at me and go, hey, immigrant. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm an immigrant? Yeah, your English sucks. What are you saying? I'm like, wait. All of a sudden, I couldn't be more Filipino than when I actually arrived in the U.S. and I was looked at as a Filipino. I'm like, but I'm trying to be Western. No, you're not. You're Filipino. Oh, Interesting. Let me deal with that. Because of that and, and feeling that there were racial tensions toward me, I told myself, I'm going to, because you know, I remember they, called it, they would call me immigrants. You know, there were all the issues with that about uh, taking their jobs and everything else. So I go, okay, guess what? I'm going to serve this country so that no one will ever question my right to be in this country. So I joined the Air Force. While I was in the Air Force, and, and I ended up missing home. You never realize what you have until you've lost it, right? So I met up. I remember the first time I arrived there in because the, <laughs> I don't see a lot of Filipinos in, in, in Rochester, where I, my city, and then I went to the Air Force. Didn't meet a lot of Filipinos is my experience. But when I saw them, the first time I saw these guys uh, in, the, in the parking lot, I just walked up to them and go, you guys are Filipino. I was like, yeah. I'm like, I'm Filipino. So we're all enjoying it, you know, shaking hands and everything else. And I'm like so excited now. They looked at me and they were talk- we were talking and everything where we're from. And they, they looked at each other and it was like, Manila boy. <laughs> Manila boy. I'm like, oh, we're from the province and we're from this. And they were playing Victor Wood music. And they were all playing all this music yeah. that I'm like, I-, I would never do that. But I'll tell you this much. Because it was from home. Mm. I was drawn into it. I was yeah, like, absolutely. this is a piece of home. And they yeah. noticed that. So they're like this. So they notice that, ah, so you miss the Philippines. Ah, okay. So so they told me, you know that? Because I go like, we have, we, on Sundays, we go to this river. We have a river here. And I'm in New Mexico. There's no river there. But I'm like, oh, there is. Huh? But I just, just a river I never saw. And we wash our clothes in the river. You know, so you bring your laundry. We'll wash our clothes in the river in this area. I'm like, really? I'm like, that's so ethnic. That's so Filipino. I can't wait. Let's do it. Let's bring. And we have beers and everything else. Okay. And so they told me where it was. I show up. There's no river. <laughs> There's none. They put one over me. That was funny because they thought I'm like, here I am, you know. But uh, I hung out with them. And that's where it's nice because no matter where you're from, it doesn't matter. In the Philippines, there's such a thing as class struggle. Oh, yeah. Outside of that, you're just another guy from the same country, right. you know, and we share and we always talk about different things and you learn to appreciate each one's culture, each one's upbringing. It's different, but I embraced it just like I, be- I-, I started liking country music because when I was in New Mexico, everything was country music. So, you know, you adapt, we adapt. Um, and that, that's, that's one of the things that, that you know, I, I really enjoyed about uh, my time in the Air Force. Yeah, I, I truly remember your stories uh, from way back then, decades ago. So, so yeah, going back to you know, like uh, the as regards your training, you mentioned you did Taekwondo, then eventually like uh, got introduced to that Kali guy at the Air Force, and then uh, Omar Hakim, you got uh, Tom Biz- well Tom Bizio, Bill McGrath. So you got three Pikiti um, Pikiti mentors prior to meeting uh, Grand Tuhon Leo. Yeah. Um, and then um, 
June de Leon, Macaulay de Leon, and then yeah, you mentioned uh, we did our exchange of like we teaching you uh, Illustrissimo and you teaching us mm-hmm. the the Omar Akim and, and Bill McGrath and, and Tom is your way of, of Piquiti. So that was also kind of interesting for us. So it, it was a good exchange back then. Uh, yeah. Remember that? Um, and, uh, what's fun about it, I think what I learned the most is that you should be able to learn from everybody. Yes. Because everybody, yes. no matter what they have, is their own regurgitation of something. Yes. I learned that I, I studied under what? Oh, total, I'd say about six Pekiti Tertia instructors, right? Mm-hmm. Every one of them, though they studied from the same teacher, showed me a totally different way of the same thing. Omar was a business math uh, college graduate, you know, that's what's his major. So his version of Silat and Pekiti Tertia was taught to me in such a way of thinking outside of the box and everything was about physics uh, and numbers. Whereas Bill McGrath was a court officer. So for him, the legalities and the movements of what he was doing was totally based on a more strategical way of doing stuff from that point of view. Tom Bizio was a Chinese martial artist and a Chinese medicine guy. So everything was all about the way the body moved and the way it related to the Chinese arts. Guru Jun de Leon, had a special gift it was about he would i would almost put his way of looking at things similar to tom bizio number one guru june was always about being a better person because you're supposed to be a better person so that's one thing i loved about it he taught me just like tom where is the respect for each other where is the respect for life are you a good person with your art so he was like a mentor like a, not only a martial artist i'll tell you this much we had a chance to work with uh, the force recon in the Philippines, interoperability with the, mil- the U.S. military and the Philippines as a, an exchange. And we taught them the Philippines. Balikatan. That, yeah, Balikatan. And um, it was a very strange experience for me. Number one, I have two of my teachers here, Guru Jun and Leo Gahe. <laughs> like dark and light. We were given knives we were all given a chance to teach the military. And this is what happens. As representatives of the Filipino martial arts to be taught to the military, the Filipinos, force recon and everything were to go to the U.S. and the U.S. were come, supposed to come to us. Somebody, I heard, oh, do we have to do that Filipino knife fighting stuff? My blood pressure went up here. The old dog. I was pissed. I was like, let's go. Let me at them. Putang ina, let's show these guys. <laughs> we're given these big ass knives, right? And we're standing there. So I'm standing there. I'm like, you know, you can see. And Leo Gahe was so excited because he sees us crazy. I'm like, you're holding me with a chain. I'm like, Puta, let me, let me at them. Let me, get me the biggest guy. And so, and Guru June's looking at me and like, oh my God, here comes Doug again. He goes, relax. Relax, we'll have our time to show them. I'm like, puta, but did you hear what they said? Did you hear what they said? They want to mix martial art, our shit? Let's go. You know, because I mean, we were armed, ready to go. <laughs> and the funny part was, Guruji's like, relax, relax, and everything else. Watch. Huh? So Gurujun calls the biggest guy, big guy. Oh, you, you, you come here. Pulls out a balisong and chases the guy. Putangera, you want to deal with the putang? And the guy's like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> like, oh, and I'm like, come on, my turn, my turn. So we were so excited, right? And then all of a sudden, we had to disperse the training weapons that we have. We had Malayo Sibat. That goes to this group. We had sticks. We only had so many sticks. We had some training knives. Only so many training knives. We had also training swords. Only so many. When it came to me, 
Puta, wala na ako. I go, what am I going to teach? And then Gahe goes, kill them. Okay. I went up there and all I taught them was go for the airway breathing circulation like a madman and snap their necks. That's all I did. Snap your legs. Go in. Snap your neck. Play dirty. Bite you and kill them. So it became a bad experience because I had to bring my mindset to a very dark place. Mm. When my training came to the knife, when you're doing eight hours, 12 hours of stabbing the ground with a real knife, huh? close to the people's necks, pa -pa -pam, stab the floor, stab the ground, and you can feel it. That's why cutting animals and stabbing the ground, it becomes real because you're putting mm. your mind into a place you've never gone. Even, uh, uh, what was the name? Dragon Balls. The, uh, you know, remember Dragon Balls? He was the commander of the Force Recon Philippines. He started like, looking at me. He's like, this guy's crazy. It developed a bad thing about me because I was going too deep into the dark place. But I had, and, and this is the thing. My teacher, Juan Yugahe, was even throwing me more blood. Go crazy. Do it. Yes, everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Guru Jun, my lighter teacher, goes, the fuck's the matter with you? You're not killing anybody. You're a family man. You're not a soldier. The hell, you're teaching them, but you are not them. So stop with it. But my eyes, you can see my eyes. Look at your face. You're so aggressive now. It's not the dog I know. You're so angry because I have so many issues. Like, yeah, but you got to teach you. They'll go to war. The fuck are you talking about? If it weren't for him pulling me back, who knows what I may have become because of that. Because after that, I started doing contracting with other things. And you have that mindset. It's a, it's a mind fuck. Mm. You know, it's a mind so, fuck. So, if you don't, don't have the right gonna... mentor, he can, you could end up in the wrong place. Yeah, I was going to say, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going to rename this episode as uh, Dog, the Jedi, or the Sith. Uh, <laughs> no, the dark I'm side. A the, uh... <laughs> I'm a Mandalorian, yeah. dude. You, you know, you know uh, Dog. Weapons are part of my religion. This yeah. is the way. You're you're the real life Kylo Ren, <laughs> you, know, you know, Doug. Listening to your to your stories, you know, because you know, unlike these these two guys, you know, I only knew you through the videos and everything. You know? So, you know, telling these these stories, I would I would never have imagined that you came from that place, because you're this like really really laid back. You know, even when you do your moves, like, you know, he's not even doing the moves. He's he's talking and he's doing the moves. He's smiling. You know. And I, I never pictured this, this dark side Kylo Ren of you. So <laughs> but, <laughs> very um, interesting. Different that's times. Actually, you know, believe it or not, that's a training method. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's a training method. Mm. Smiling is a training mm. method. Right, Here's right. what, 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 what somebody taught me. He goes, you need to develop that in your public speaking because public speaking is martial art demos. You did mm. develop that. He goes, you're always smiling. You know why you smile that? Because if you're like this... How are they going to approach you? You're unapproachable because you look scary. If you're smiling, you disarm the person. Right. Why yeah. do you need to be approached? Because you can stab them. <laughs> <laughs> you need distance to stab somebody, dude. You can't now, and you cannot let them know by your look and your energy. Your energy has to be welcoming because now they're within your range. Right. So even this is something that was taught from martial arts as a strategy. Now, how do you develop it? Public speaking, um, when you're talking, he goes, talking when I'm training is also a training method because when you're talking, you're breathing. You're not mm -hmm. holding your breath. So as you're talking constantly, also, when you're able to talk and look away, you're using your peripheral vision all the time. 
you never look at your target because we're always thinking in the Filipino martial arts, where's the next guy? Where's the next weapon? Or I'm doing this. Where's a weapon I can pick up? So as you're doing it, you develop these. So that in itself is a strategy and a way to train. Uh, Sixto, take pointers. Smile more. <laughs> Sixto never smiles at me when I train with him. <laughs> Nobody smiles at you, Dax. I know, I know. They smile with me. They smile with me. No, they, they laugh at you. They don't smile at you. <laughs> enemy, enemy dog again. So my next question is, it's very simple. And I hope we all like the answer. When are you planning to visit the Philippines again? It's been a long time, man. <laughs> Tell me about it, man. It's the million so dollar on. question. Yeah. Well, well, the one thing right now when COVID allows, mm. you know, the, the restrictions of COVID are very strict. Right. Um, and it's truthfully, it's, it's my, it's my schedule. I, I really have a hard time uh, trying to get time. By the time Forge and Fire has become a year-long filming schedule. Um, oh, wow. It's one of the wow. shows. Wow. Right now, we are on a 10-month. This is a 10-month shoot. I'm only into it three months. That's long. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's one of those shows. You know, first, month, first season was only eight episodes. Then became 10 then became 16, then became 20, 30, 40. Now it's 50 for this set. Um, and it, it takes all my time. And then plus I joined the Forge and Fire in Latin America also. So that, yeah. that I can get done in three weeks because we're spreading you, it you over there. I'm waiting for Forge and Fire Asia and in Europe eventually. It's going to happen, but I don't know when. Yeah, and Asia, invite us, man. We're, we're, <laughs> <Absolutely>. we're here. <laughs> Absolutely. I've been waiting for them to call. And make- find out the way to do it. And um, we're just trying to find the right country in Asia that can actually have the right amount of uh, bladesmiths to keep it going. Okay. Um, so far, Malaysia. Oh, Malaysia. Malaysia yeah. has a possibility. They have that many knife makers there. That's a, that's a very nice but, country, Malaysia. Yeah. yeah. So we, we just got to figure it out. Um, but to, be, to tell you the truth, one of the things is this is a blessing. I don't know how long this show is going to – I'll be part of the show. I'm sure the show will continue without me. So I got to give it my uh, – I got to maximize it because um, it is, for me, the best way to reach people. Um, teaching martial arts all over – you know, when I was traveling and doing seminars all over, I can only hit a small amount. This way, uh, I even had them change it. To, uh, you know, I'm now introduced as uh, Edge Weapons Specialist and Kali Martial Artist. They always put that in there, Kali nice. Martial Artist. Mm. And people will now Google that, and now they'll know what Kali is. So it's my, my, the best way I can um, expose uh, my beloved Filipino martial arts. Yeah, so, so Doug, just, you know, just mentioning again, so you had your three Piquita mentors, then you had uh, Grand Tujon as well over that, so that's part of your Piquiti journey, and Samson Miguel with the Tom Bizio as well. Then I mentioned June De Leon's mentorship, which is kind of interesting. I, you know, back then, I remember when you were younger, of course, you, all you would mention is you were blown away by all the techniques and control with the stick, and uh, I never heard about the other side of the uh, soft mentorship that he gave you, not until decades. Oh. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah. this, uh, I would say, like a very uh, eye-opener something that I never knew, honestly. Yep. So, so you mentioned that and also like the time that, you know, we were also uh, teaching you Illustrissimo back then. I remember uh, show, uh, teaching you uh, Dos Manos as well as uh, some Illustrissimo Blade. And mm-hmm. I do remember then Polymer 
and aluminum blades were not really existent, uh, yeah. but you know, they were kind of rare. So we yeah, expensive to own to have made. Also, some wooden wooden swords. I still have those. I still have those uh, wooden training knives from you oh, guys. Yeah. The yeah, ones in the yeah, I still have those. Even the yeah. bahi that I got. Yeah, so, so I'm saying like amongst those influences, like if you could turn back time knowing where you are right now in your martial arts journey uh, currently, uh, what would you have changed in your approach or who would you have wanted to spend more time? What would you, want, what, what would you have wanted to learn more about? And so on and so on. Uh, if you could have turned back time knowing what you know now. Knowing what I know now, I wish I would have put some time into uh, ground fighting. I would have loved to have taken Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've taken, I can't, because when I did some full time, uh, full uh, contact sparring, I kept getting choked out. <laughs> <laughs> I had no game for that. You know, I'm like, I have this grappling idea of, 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 uh, of training, but if you don't roll, it's not the same. This Dumog stuff, yeah. good luck using that against a, somebody who rolls all the time because there's a difference. There's, there's a street version, there's who hits first, who hits faster. But my lack, is the ground fighting because I never put enough time into it to be very good at it. That's why when I met Steve, when he showed me his Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because he studied under Guru, uh, Guru Dan, um, I only had time to say, okay, my weakness is getting choked out. Show me how to get out of that. So instead of starting from the top, I'll just start out on the ground with somebody already close to mounting me and let's start from there because that's my weak, my weakness. I know enough to try to get out of it. I don't know enough to try to submit someone who knows what they're doing. It's sure, it's easy to submit anyone who doesn't know how to fight back until they put resistance. And if they know what they're doing it, forget it. I know enough to get out and run or pick up a knife <laughs> or pick up a weapon. So I, um, that's where I would, if going back, that's where, but then I asked my question, I, I asked myself the same question before. And I said, you know what, would I? Because if mastery of one particular art alone, like the Filipino martial arts, which includes mastery of so many different kinds of weapon systems and empty hands. Will I have time to really put time to another art because I'm trying to master this alone and I'm still trying to master it. So it's a give and take stuff um, because who knows if I've started doing that more that would have taken away from what I've discovered. Would I have been able to study under Guru Jun or under Tom Busy mm. or anything if I was taking Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on the That's side? That's so true. Yeah. So in the end, just appreciate where you are. And if you have the time to start something new, why not? You know, looking yeah. back and saying, I wish I did this. That's, that, that's not going to change anything. So I just look at it as, where am I now and where do I want to go? And there have been times like where I am now where I said, I want to do that, but I don't have the time. So I will continue perfecting what I know. Yeah, you, you, you bring back memories and the uh, visions of the past that, you know, now I'm thinking like, I wish I had a time machine back then to show you 20 years, like, dog, you're 27 now. Two decades, two decades later, you're going to agree with me. <laughs> but, <laughs> back then you were like, Baste, I heard you in six-store blue belts in BJJ. Let's go now. Roll on, the, roll on the sand. I'll show you how I'm going to kill you with the knife or, or use my uh, locking on your neck. That's not going to work. <laughs> Believe me, that's BS. That UFC. Mm -hmm. I'm like, whatever, dog. Uh, you want me to show you? I'll show you. So, yeah. <laughs> well, interesting yeah, so to have this conversation happening decades now. And I'm like, 
different times, yeah. different different times, different yeah. times. Yeah. No, but but that with mentality the, and yeah. maturity isn't there. I think maturity is a big word. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. So Doug, with everything that you've learned, uh, and you know, uh, and everything that you didn't learn, and 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 it, it's it's pretty obvious. Uh, again, from a from a very uh, newcomer standpoint, no. Uh, like I said, you know, we didn't know each other when we were younger, but I, I see your videos. You have a very unique style, you know. Uh, and I, I, I can't compare it. I can't put my finger on it as to what style it is. Is there, I know you have a system, your own system. And uh, can you tell us more about it? Because it's, you know, I, I can't place it. Like, you know, I, I know you have many influences, but it's very unique. It's very unique. Okay. So I would say what I, Markai Nikali is my expression of how I, I guess, modified what I've learned from other guys, from other teachers. Um, Pekiti to me had a lot of good knife stuff, right? But a lot of the mechanics of what they did didn't work for me. And this is what happened. One of my students that I studied under, that, that was studying under me, was a biomechanical engineer. And we sat down one day and we studied all the different drills that we did and all the things that we trained. And he goes, okay, what's the purpose of this drill? Ah, it's supposed to strengthen your arm when you're hitting the tires and everything else. He goes, you know the tire striking? I went, that's going to destroy your body. That's not good for long term. You're going to get you know, tendonitis and you're going to rip your muscles up and everything else. I don't understand. What's the purpose of it? It's supposed to be strengthening your strikes. He goes, how hard are you supposed to hit? And it made me think about the, 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 the strengthening and conditioning of doing that. He goes, you're not strengthening anything. Number one, you're hitting something that's going to be jarring to your body. So that kind of training method, you're trying to what? Strengthen your arms? Good. Do push-ups. There, there are other exercises you can do without hitting. There are, there are now bands that you can do. There are plyometric drills that you can do. There are the Indian clubs that you can do. This tried and true tested. He goes, let me ask you this. Who made you do this? I go, one of my teachers. That's his big thing. You know, do a thousand strikes and everything else. Okay, good. Is he there doing it with you? No, he's counting, <laughs> you know? So there are certain things that we studied, especially in mechanics we were doing. Okay, how, what's the side, the way you're doing it, you know? It's like, it's supposed to be this. Oh, in the drills, you do that. I go, ah, you do side, side on the drill all the time. Okay, good. When you fight, do you stay in the same spot all the time that you do side to side stepping all the time? I'm like, no, people, you know, of course you fight, you're going to move around. So in the drill, you're constantly doing the same thing for repetitiveness. And I can see you do it all the time. Do you walk like that? Do you walk like this sideways? Or do you walk like this? I'm like, oh, I walk like that. Go oh, good. When you spar, what do you look like? That's how you spar, huh? How come it looks nothing like your drills? So I had to change a lot. It was like, and when you spar, how do you spar? Bada, bada, bada. You just go attack and everything else, throw everything you've learned. Or do you spar to use what you know? That's a gift from Guru Jun. Guru Jun told me, I don't, you know, hitting is hitting. But if you're going to spend so much time doing this other part of the art, you should spar to use what you know until it becomes just all that you know. Because a lot of times we abandon everything that we learned just to beat the crap out of somebody in front of you that we will forget where we trained. So in my arts and my expression, it's almost pretty much the same. I want to fight the way I move. If I walk this way, I better fight you this way. If, I, if I'm able to do this, this, this in itself should be a fighting move in itself already. So if I'm able to do that, if, I'm, you know, if, I, if I do this, this should be a fighting move. Not like, you know, like these martial art moves and everything else, which do you do this every day? No. 
So at least mechanically, it's my expression to try to be as natural as possible. And, and, and given day, of course, eventually you're going to change stuff. I'll tell you why. One teacher, and I finally caught him. Of course, we know who the teacher is. But um, <laughs> it, it, it came to this when one of the gifts that Omar told me is to do this. Study the man and you'll understand the system. Study the man and you understand the system. So I study the man. He goes, he goes, I ask so many questions. Doug, you're asking all the wrong questions. It's a problem. You're asking the wrong questions. This guy probably heard the same questions over and all, overall. So I actually asked him, he goes, what do you think of this one teacher of ours, a friend of ours? What do you think of his teacher? Oh, it's very good. Oh, it's good. You admit he's good. He goes, yeah. How good is it? Oh, it's very good. But Doug, it's like what everybody else does. It's the same. It's not, it's not an unorthodox. It's common. Wait, wait, wait. But it's good. He goes, yeah. So why do you do that that's different from me? Oh, because I want to look different. I want to be unorthodox. Unorthodox, right? I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Unorthodox. You're only wanting to look different. It's all about the look. And here's the problem with that. He's a gifted person who can pull that off and make it work. Not everybody's gifted that way. So when Good I point. saw and Good realized point. you're about looking different as opposed to function, I said, I'd rather go with function because I care about my students. I'm not going to make them do certain moves. That, like, you look like a jumping palaka technique or something. You look like a frog and all these weird movements. That's not natural. And people just even look ridiculous doing it. I want function. So put me into the function stuff. Now, What's the purpose of this and that? It's because you're trying to do this. Ah, so you mean I can just do this? <laughs> I don't need to do this to do that. Yeah. Okay. So from then on, I'm like, hey, guys, we're just going to do this. Took me about a year and a half to unlearn a lot of things. Not unlearn the purpose and function, but unlearn the unnecessary stuff to streamline it. Yeah. You know? So right. that was my uh, epiphany from that. I think we have anyway. time for a couple of questions, so I'll, I'll leave the floor to my teachers. All right. Okay. Okay, dog. So this is this is my last question for you. So, what's in the future? What's your, what are your future plans? My future plans, um, right now, just to maximize the blessings that I have. Um, the show have, has opened up a lot of uh, opportunities, in the sense uh, for media. My biggest realization now is I've gone from martial arts guy, well, respiratory guy, medical field, left that to martial to media guy. And I'm trying to find a way how best to continue to inspire people with what I've known and give back. Um, I think we're already starting from here. We've given up and learned so much that when you get to a certain part, it's all about giving back before I make my exit. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you. Basti. So, so what's your uh, hopes and dreams for the FMA? I hope that one day that uh, will continue its path. It's not FMA per se. It's martial arts altogether. Martial arts needs to be recognized as a field no different than being a doctor or being a dentist or, all, or a lawyer. Martial artists put the same amount of time 
you know, I've known martial arts. How many? How long have we been doing this? 10, 20 years? <laughs> 30. Right? 30, 30 40. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, 30 or 40. Wow, think about that. Yet, would anybody pay us that much of education like you would a lawyer? No. So that's no. what I'm hoping no. for martial arts. I hope martial arts will get the same because it's no different than what we invest in time to, to as a matter of fact, it's one of the arts. Uh, one of the things that we're able to do that I think is it, we, we make people better people. We make fathers better fathers by teaching them martial arts. We give yep. them a time that's worth doing, the right kind of martial arts. So how come they're not paid for that? It still kills me that we as martial artists are embarrassed to ask for a certain amount of money because we think it's just martial arts. Right. We should be so proud and just as willing to charge him like a lawyer would charge you for his time. I hope that's for all martial arts, you know. That's what I, my, my dream for them. Because we, we, blood, sweat, and tears, man. We put so much into this. It's our, it's our life thing. Uh, and we don't ever get down to the part to where we're, we're at least, I don't know, compensated for the sacrifices we get. You know, yeah. what does it take for us to study what we've done? And then all of a sudden, oh, here, for your one hour, I only pay you this. You know, here's one thing I learned from Guru Jun. He interviews people with this question in mind. What, you know, and it's, it's almost comes out to like, why do you deserve to learn from me? Why do you deserve to learn the art and knowledge that I have amassed going everywhere in the world and gave every time for what? A few dollars here? Why do you deserve this? Now prove to me why you deserve to learn from me. That's an outlook that a lot of martial artists do not do. Instead, they're like this, please come and learn my system and pay me this amount just, just to make ends meet. That's true. It's terrible. So true. We so should be true. able to say anybody, why do you deserve to learn from me? You know? Wow. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. With that, I think we can, we can conclude this. Hopefully. Okay. Because I, I can sense there's, there's, there's just too many, to, you know, too many to tell in just one show. Doug, yeah, I we'll hope you can join us again. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, drinks, let's do this again. So. All right. Ma- oh, nga. Next, <laughs> time, <laughs> next time. <laughs> okay, next time. It's it's better. You know, we'll we'll get tagay shots and we'll do it yeah. live. Live with exactly. shots. That's that's exactly. gonna be a dangerous episode. That's a dangerous there's episode. There's a show in uh, there's a show on History Channel, you know, on Comedy Central called um, Drunken History. You ever watch that? I watched that. I love that. That's I love funny, that. Show. You know, I like, love that. Show. So imagine how what, what we will say when we're drunk. Oh my god, we're gonna get, we're gonna get so much flack for we'll that. Be I'm so sure. relaxed. You will get killed. You will get killed. And not the K-E-L. Uh, it's it's going to be yeah. the K-I-L-L in Filipino accent. Okay, so, so yeah. All right. So, uh, personally, I know I really enjoyed this show because uh, what I learned, what I took away from the show, it, it actually, you know, because of your views, Doug, it became a, a show about appreciation. All right? Yeah. So, uh, yes. early on. You know, you're talking about your appreciation for the Filipino martial arts, which you never got until you left, which is so ironic. You know, mm-hmm. you, the whole time you were here, you didn't have that appreciation. You only appreciated when you left. So you had an appreciation for that, an appreciation for life. All right. And that's the keel tagline, the, the, that catchphrase. Mm-hmm. It's so brilliant, I think, you know. Um, and also a, an appreciation for the martial artist, which is so important. You know, uh, you know, I, I, I get these stories from, from Sixto and Bastet that, you know, a lot of their masters, uh, they die poor. They mm-hmm. die poor. And it's so unfortunate. You know, they, 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 
they die poor and their students are the ones raking it in, you know, raking it in, so to speak. Hmm, but, that's even raking it in, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, maybe yeah. I'm, I'm talking about their literal rake with it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that you know, this is this has been a wonderful episode. So thank you, thank you, Doug. Any My any word, any, any uh, parting words for everyone out there? Well, thank you for allowing me to talk. Next time, um, I expect to be the one listening and not doing the talking. And I want to hear your stories from your okay. point of view. Because we've had like decades of, there's, there's a lot of, we, we started here and there was this long pause and we're here again. I need to find out what your long pause is now. You know, it's been a while. I want to see how your development yep. of the Hermano, uh, you know, the, the Hermano brothers, I mean, uh, your system and uh, your link to FEMA. You know, uh, the Western Western arts too, um, and I'd love to see the influence of Mar Filipino martial arts, and also how that all uh, has improved your game, because I, I do believe that uh, we have um, a lack of uh, understanding of weaponry. Filipino martial arts works with Filipino martial arts. You fight another system, like ooh, we got some holes. <laughs> I found out at the hard way. I, I, I fenced. <laughs> And when I went fencing, forget all the wide strikes, man. It's all dueling. Yeah. When you start dueling, it's a totally different game. There you go. That's all. Oh, here's one thing. They're, they're, also, diff right? they're different weapons. They're different weapons. Yes. But here's one that's, thing. Very that, big thing. On your calendar, uh, guest interviewer, Dog Markaida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would yeah. watch that. I would watch that. But, but well, wait till you start using the real weights. Yes. Right. It's different. It's different. Big yes. difference. I, the I've tried that. Ones yeah. wouldn't know. When I have to wield the real ones, you know how scary it is to wield a sharp blade? That's why, even though all fun and games were, we've changed so much for safety purposes. We forget yes. you know, when you're wielding something that's double edged and everything else, the weight can bounce or break. Or when you're cutting something, mm -hmm. where's your follow through? Totally mm -hmm. different. That's like, I wonder how many, um, and, and they, I'm sure it's happened a lot, how many are friendly fire? Tump, I sorry, yeah. <laughs> From weapons. Yep. All right, so, guys. So, you guys, you oh, heard pleasure. it. All right. Uh, that's, that's an episode that I want to watch, you know, whatever show that's going to be on. So, so Doug is going to be interviewing these these two guys. I would love to watch that. I would love to watch it. So thank you. Uh, let, thank you let's again. do it here. No, no, let's yeah. do it here. Let's do it here in this show. Let's, let's schedule and let's we'll, let's let's schedule. turn the tables. You know, yeah. so it's gonna be yeah. me and Doug interviewing you two guys. Sure, yeah. Under I the influence. <laughs> yeah, that's a requirement. Huh? My, my pollutant, huh? My pollutant. Oh okay. man, uh, you guys my, have that there. There's no pollutant here, man. I'm pizza. Yeah, we'll send you chippy. <laughs> okay, thank you. So, right. everyone out there, thank right, you guys. so much for tuning in. Thank you. And uh, thank you, dog. you can join thank us again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you so much. much Stay bye, safe. Bye. All right, so that was Mr. Doug Markaida uh, giving us uh, a slice of his very busy schedule. No? So I, I, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I enjoyed that, but uh, more than you guys can, uh, can know. Sixto, what, what did you think? What did you think of that? Yeah, I can tell you were enjoying yourself. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, originally, uh, I considered Doug way back then as a big brother. And he was also my instructor. Actually, we have it on video. He trained us for Tagalimbasen, huh? For several, we trained several hours 
several days a week for several months. So I, I learned a lot from him. That, and that was about 30 years ago. It's good that we saw him again and I saw his transformation. Way back then, he was so aggressive. It was kill, kill, kill after each stab. Now it's kill. It's so. A E A L. So kill. He's so <laughs> mature now. He's changed a lot. His worldview, his view on martial arts, it has matured so much. And in his interview now, I again learned a lot. Learned a lot. I, I've learned a lot about martial arts, Filipino martial arts, and about life in general. And basta. Yeah, so sounds kind of cheesy, but you know, martial arts, uh, people talk about techniques in uh, physical techniques, fighting techniques. But in fighting and in living, you know, there's also the uh, soft skills. So thank you, Doug, for reminding us about that. Uh, and uh, just uh, kind of refreshing as well to see uh, a, uh, you know, a fast forward Doug Markaida from the first Doug Markaida we met 20, 30 years ago and uh, to the Doug Markaida now. It's kind of interesting to be part of that uh, journey and seeing him through go transformation. So uh, kudos to him. And uh, yeah, very thankful we have this uh, episode to hear it straight from the mouth of Mr. Kiel. Mr. Kiel. <laughs> Mr. Kiel. Any, anyway, I, I, look, I look forward to that, to him, to our next episode yeah. with him. I, Baste, can you organize that again? Uh, Baste was the guy who organized this. Baste, I hope you can organize that. That would be a fun episode. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, would, uh, I would pay to watch that. I would pay to watch that. Yeah, would, right. you pay, would you pay to host it? Of course. Okay. I would pay myself <laughs> to host it. <laughs> okay, so thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, and I hope you guys uh, join us again next time. Peace and stay safe. Yeah, stay safe. See you guys. <laughs>